Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Tuesday, May the 23rd. And welcome to our commentary. Just a quick heads up. I have a post over at the American Thinker this morning talking about Senator Ted Cruz, who's obviously running for re-election in 2024, and the two men who at the moment are identified as the more likely challengers, uh, Representative Allred of here in the Dallas area, and uh, uh, State Senator Gutierrez, who's down from South Texas. And those are the two men who are officially in, or at least everybody considers them in, and there may be others. There's some talk about the mayor of Houston jumping in, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. But these two, Gutierrez and Allred, are the two who are more likely going to be one of those two is more than likely going to be running against Senator Cruz in 2024. In my post, about, I talk about some of the challenges uh, that these two men face. And one of the biggest challenges is going to be the, the electoral map of 2024, not a good map for the Democrats, because they're going to have to defend West Virginia, Montana, and Ohio. I mean, they could be 0-3 by 10 o'clock on election night if those three uh, go the way uh, I think they're going to go. So they're going to have to do whatever they can to defend the others. And spending money in Texas, as I argue in my, in my post, probably not the wisest thing when you have to defend Arizona, uh, Wisconsin, and other states where they have a better chance, obviously. Of, of winning, so or at least keeping keeping their seats. So check out my post over at the American Thinker today, talking about talking about Ted Cruz. Well, the big story in the country, of course, is the debt limit uh, negotiations, and they've been meeting and talking. And the, what, what's going through right now is a little bit of the of the circus that always goes through the back and forth, uh, you know, back and forth, uh, this and this and this and that. I think at the end of the day, to use uh, a popular word, at the end of the day, I think they will sign something before the deadline. They're going to take it as far as they can, but they will sign something. And there will be a debt limit increase, but it will come by reducing some expenses or some government programs or some spending, to be more specific. And that's because I think Speaker McCarthy has a stronger hand and has a much better political position than President Biden. It's very difficult for President Biden to uh, somehow to somehow believe that he can just sit there and say there's going to there's be no pending, uh, spending cuts. That's just politically not going to fly. So I think the speaker is handling this right. He also has a big advantage, and that is he already has a resolution or a vote that passed the House. The Democrats have not been able to pass anything in the Senate. I don't think they have uh, the ability to pass anything in the Senate at the moment. So that's why I think, that's why I say, I believe the Speaker has a stronger position here and he will get a victory out of this. Now, obviously, the Democrats are going to claim some victory as well. But I think in, in a more practical terms, it's going to be a, a victory for the Speaker who frankly is turning out to be a pretty good speaker. You know, I had my doubts at first because of all the commotion and getting him uh, selected, but he's turning out to be a pretty good speaker and he's getting a lot of unity 
out of the caucus, as they like to say. I mean, this resolution that passed the House has just about every vote except two. So he's got the votes. And I think there's a position in the House that we're not going to go along with increasing the debt limit unless the White House is willing to make some spending cuts. And if you look at some of the popularity polls, that position is more popular than just doing a clean uh, debt limit resolution. So I think the speaker is going to win. It's going to win this case. But they're going to take it to the very end uh, for political reasons on on the White House uh, on the White House side. A couple of stories uh, in the news today. The NAACP has apparently decided to declare war on the state of Florida. I guess they're angry with the governor. Not exactly why, uh, but they're angry with Governor DeSantis. What, what makes this story even more ridiculous is that they're telling people not to go to Florida, but the chairman of the NAACP lives in Tampa, Florida. So. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. They're telling people not to go to Florida when the chairman of the NAACP lives there. Uh, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty silly. I also think the NAACP underestimates the number of uh, African-Americans who have moved to Florida for the same reason that lots of people are moving to Florida or Texas, and that is quality of life and a better economic opportunity. I think they completely underestimate that. And that's the reason why they come up with some of these ridiculous things, you know, like uh, a travel ban on on Florida because of Governor DeSantis. Governor DeSantis is pretty popular in Florida. Now, I have not seen the numbers as to how popular he is with African-Americans, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's got a pretty good number. Because, again, African-Americans are enjoying Florida for the same reasons that other people are enjoying Florida good quality of life, good economy, a good place, a good place to to live. Speaking of uh, African American leaders, the California reparations thing coming out of uh California is completely insane. First of all, they don't have the money to do it. They don't have the money to pass this. I mean, California has a 32 billion dollar deficit. So how in the world are they going to pass this? I mean, they they're going to have to figure out how they raise taxes or cut spending to make up for the $32 billion deficit. So you can forget, you can forget uh, for the time being any kind of reparations or any checks going out to people. But I think they're all, I don't believe this reparation uh, law or whatever they, or resolution or whatever would survive the courts. I think it would be challenged in the courts and, and defeated. I mean, it's completely ridiculous to have people in 2023 pay for something that happened 400 years ago. And furthermore, California was not a slave state. So California never had slavery. Now, there probably are some people in California who have slavery in their past. That's obviously possible. But it's not. it was never the policy of California to support slavery. So again, this is another, another example of, again, once again, how disconnected from, I believe, the African-American population the leadership of the NAACP and many of these reparation activists, I think it just shows you how disconnected, I think, from the reality uh, the reality they, they are. Well, President Biden uh, was speaking again, I think, during his trip to Japan. And once again, he said that his son died in Iraq. His son did not die in Iraq. 
Now, I'm not trying to underestimate or, or downplay the death of a son. I'm sure that was quite painful for him as it would be for anybody. But his son died of brain cancer in 2015. He didn't die in Iraq. He was not killed in Iraq as where roughly 4,000 other heroes who died in Iraq. And for him to be saying this, either he believes it, which sort of calls into question his state of mind, or he knows that he's lying and he keeps lying. I, I, I don't know. But for him to keep repeating this is, is something that really is frustrating because there are parents out there and there are families who lost their son in Iraq or Afghanistan. And, you know, to somehow uh, say something like this is, is pretty, pretty ridiculous. But I think it shows you, as I said before, it either shows you that he has a problem keeping his thoughts together or that he knows that he's lying and he keeps on lying. I, I don't know what else to, to say about this. Speaking of, of President Biden, former uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton basically said that it's okay to talk about Biden's age, that it's a concern. And what that means, I'm not sure. I don't think she herself is getting into the race, although stranger things have happened. But I think this is a signal perhaps to other Democrats that, hey, we better start talking about age because most of the American people are talking about uh, President Biden's age. So to hear that from, from Secretary, former Secretary Clinton is a... Uh, Pretty interesting, pretty interesting comment, I think. Now, I wonder if whoever was interviewing uh, former Secretary Clinton asked her any questions about the Durham report. I would love to hear what she has to say about that document that started all of that back then that was a part of her campaign. I don't think she's getting any questions about it, but I would love to hear her answer on, on, something, on something like this. By the way, Senator uh, Scott, is now running for, for president. I think he's a very strong candidate, but not for president. I think at the moment uh, he would be a very good VP, but I don't think uh, it's at the moment, I just don't think he can get in. Not given the situation that we have right now between President Trump and DeSantis. One of those two is gonna be the nominee. Uh, I'm pretty convinced of that. It could also be both of them. You could have a ticket, Trump DeSantis, that could also Happen. But in the event that that does not happen, that say Trump wins the nomination, I think you'll probably see him go after uh, Senator Tim Scott. And if, do, if DeSantis wins the nomination, I think Scott would be a really good fit for him as well because he comes from the Senate and uh, DeSantis is the governor. So keep an eye on Senator Scott. He may not win the nomination, but I think he's got a pretty good shot. In fact, I would say right now he's got an excellent shot at being uh, the party VP or the nominee in 2024. A quick uh, on this day in history moment uh, as we remember the past. On this day in 1934, that makes it a long time ago, I guess, what, 89, 90 years ago, whatever. Bonnie and Clyde were in, were in Louisiana and they were driving to that farm and they, were, they, they walked into a, uh, an ambush by the police, and I'm sure you all remember what happened. They were shot uh, many times and killed in their automobiles uh, that day. So Bonnie and Clyde were killed on this day in 1934. And of course, a lot of that was forgotten for a long time until that movie came out in 1967 with, uh, I think it was Warren Beatty playing, and I forgot the, the lady's name who was Bonnie, 
Well, until that movie came out, a lot of his history had basically been forgotten. And one of the reasons it had been forgotten is because the families did not want to be talking, did not want the country to be talking about Bonnie and Clyde. Um, they kind of wanted to, to keep that uh, a little quiet. But as it turned out, that movie put them back on the, on the stage, put them back in the conversation. And there have been some movies made after that. In fact, recently there was a made-for-TV movie about Bonnie and Clyde that was actually a pretty good movie. Not as good as the original, but a pretty good uh, movie. Uh, a few years ago, it was a, it was at one of these made for TV movies. I don't think it got a lot of publicity, but it was a decent movie uh, to watch. Well, have a great day, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Bye bye, everybody. <laughs>